Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, we had to get this guy a bib because he has literally started salivating for regular season football. The one, the only, Chuck Holmes. Chuck, what's up, brother? Can you feel it? Are you ready for some football a la Hank Williams Jr.? This weekend, this past weekend, Saturday in Columbus, it was a little chilly in the morning. I had to wear <laughs> pants for a couple hours. It was a, the fall Christmas. I could almost taste the football. I could almost taste and smell Ohio Stadium. Uh, alas, we're still two weeks away, but two weeks is better than five weeks. I'm, I, I'm fired up. I can I, I may take my pants off in the middle of this. Uh, luckily for everybody, it's just an audio pod. Maybe next week we'll do a video for them. Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of things there, right? So you mentioned the weather. I know the day you were talking about, and the high tomorrow here in Columbus is 97. So that's Ohio for you. <laughs> it's Ohio, right. baby, yeah. And then, um, you know, you kind of misspoke, though, because we've got football this weekend. And granted, the games aren't good. Right. This is something that Gene Ross and I talked about in our Your Nuts that went out yesterday. But, you know, Notre Dame is playing. USC is playing. So some games that you and I and a lot of people will probably tune into at some point. Right. I mean, at a minimum, a game that I'm going to have to 
get the old FanDuel app back out and see if I can't uh, can't lose some money on it before. Let, let's lose some money week zero. Why wait till week one? Yeah, you got to remember your password, right? Because you laid off the N- or the MLB stuff and you've been waiting and now it's like, okay, now here we go. But um, yeah, you know, Chuck and I are recording this on Tuesday afternoon, just a couple of hours before a potential massive, massive commitment for the Ohio State football team. So partner, I want to start there, if only to acknowledge that, yes, we are certainly aware that five-star defensive lineman Edric Houston out of Bedford, Georgia, is scheduled to announce his verbal commitment around 7 p.m. tonight. Uh, You know, I thought we'd come across as a couple of schmucks if we didn't at least mention it. Unfortunately, we had to pick up the mics early and then get this episode ready for the AM. Life happens, right? But I did want to, again, just acknowledge that this is slash was a big, important recruiting battle. And hopefully, by the time people listen to this, the Buckeyes will have scored a major victory. Um, And actually, Chuck, let's do this. Without knowing the outcome, right, pretend Houston's announcement was a month ago or a month from now. Let's just debate recruiting versus on-field product real quick. Obviously, those on-field results are of the utmost importance. If Ohio State's defensive line in particular goes out and does what we think they are capable of in 2023, then, you know, Larry Johnson is likely lauded and applauded and recent recruiting misses will be forgotten. We're talking Keon Keeley, Damon Wilson, Mateo. Ooh, I am not going to butcher his name. Marcus Lightfoot, Dylan Stewart, like the list is pretty notable, but is a strong 2024 recruiting class at least nipping at the heels of production as far as like levels of importance? Or look, no, let me ask you one more way or, or, or another way, regardless of Houston's decision, 2024 signing day is a long ways away, right? All verbal commits need to be air quotes, retained, taken care of, right? And eventually sign on the dotted line. So how important is it, period, point blank, for Ohio State to replenish defensive line talent given some of the recent misses? And I'll just let you sort of go in any direction you want. I actually think it's way more important for these current players to produce. I I do. And and here's why, because they were big time recruits and, you know, you look at JT Tuimola, you look at Jack Sawyer, these were top, the top two defensive ends in their class. Like they need to produce. So I think part of what gave Larry Johnson the aura he did was he reeled these guys in and then they went to the league. You look at all the guys that he had at Penn State. You look at Chase Young. You look at the Boses. It was all that. He produced them, and they went to the league. Well, he's had a couple misses recently in that development. Now, obviously, it's not all on him. It's it's partly on the players. But he rec- we recruited those players, right? Zach Harrison, you can't tell me Zach Harrison lived up to the quote-unquote expectations it, it was as being the number one defensive end and a five-star from the Columbus area. You look at Tyreek Smith, same thing. He was a five-star. He was supposed to be the next Chase Young after Chase Young. It never happened. 
now you've got two of these guys here and if they don't develop whether it's his fault or their fault because i mean ultimately it's it's really their job to own their development they're they're adults now even though they're college students it's still going to fall on him you don't fire the players the, the old mantra you don't fire the players you fire the manager well in this scenario it would be you don't fire the players uh but something happens with the coach right so you talked about signing day being a while away keeping these guys on board that they do have uh and, and if they get some good news tonight it's imperative that the guys they currently have produce. So these guys that are coming in see, I've got a path and, and we still, I'm going to get developed and I'm going to continue on my path to the NFL. Because let's be honest, if both these guys come out and have 10 or 12 sacks this year, A, they're going to the NFL and being first round picks and B, that's going to open up playing time. So that that's a, a win-win in the recruiting world for them. So having the guys currently on hand producing way more important to me than picking up a, a great um, uh, catch on the recruiting trail that ends up then not being what everybody expected them to be. And I 1000% agree, uh, which doesn't always happen on this podcast, but I think everything that you, you hit on was correct. I, and I've said it before, Larry Johnson, he, he didn't really strike out until 2023 like go back and look at it even look at 2022 which is what I was doing today you know Kenyatta Jackson Omari Abor and Caden Curry that was three of the top 13 edge rushers in that class and if you look at one through 13 most of those guys have not done a thing you know at least Caden Curry was on the field as a freshman and contributed uh, at least early on Kenyatta Jackson appears to be the next world record, everything we're hearing out of practice, right? And Abor's been hurt. There's nothing you can do about that. But I was going through that list of one through 13, and most of those guys are like maybe second on a depth chart. A lot of them are third. Some of them didn't see the field as a freshman. They redshirted. And again, yeah, that's sort of like where Kenyatta Jackson is at. But you hear the things about him that are sort of coming out. It sounds like he might be not 1A or 1B in that defensive end rotation, but like very, very close to those other guys potentially. And so, yeah, it is the on-field production that has really taken a step back. So proof of concept, it needs to be there again. And then I think recruiting takes care of itself. And like I said, really it's, it's one down class, the 2024 Class hasn't maybe worked out the way that we expected it to. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, whether Edric Houston commits or not, it wasn't going to be him, Justin Scott, Marcus Lightfoot, and Dylan Stewart. Like, it wasn't going to happen, period, point blank. Two of those guys, it's been very surprising, right? But if the production is there, I completely agree with you that – everything else will fall in line. So I'm not going to overreact to any recruiting news, good or bad, which is probably the perfect transition, right? We're, we're going to miss an announcement. Let's deal with it. Let's move on. So yeah, let's talk about it in other news, right? We are about a week and a half from that opening kickoff between Ohio State and Indiana. And Chuck, if I'm going through 
our little checklist here. It seems that our beloved Buckeyes are just about ready for the 2023 season, with the exception of, hold on, I've got it in some notes here, a starting quarterback. Okay, it's a QB. They're just without a starting quarterback. <laughs> oh. No big deal. Chuck, no. listen, I, I know that you have been riding the QB anxiety bus. So how are you feeling right now? One to ten, what is your anxiety level? I, uh, the the bus broke down. Unfortunately, we've had to drive. We've driven so many miles on the quarterback anxiety bus that it broke down. We didn't have a time to get it serviced because we, we have been driving 24 hours a day since my first podcast back in April when we talked about the spring game. Damn, I guess we have. Yeah. Yeah. Literally have not stopped driving since then because it is um, – it, it has become worrisome. You can't even, you can't even describe like worrisome is not even a, a strong enough adjective. So I know uh, coach day had some very strong words to say about both on me. He was very enthusiastic this week, which is a good sign because he has been less than enthusiastic previous to this week. Um, I, I like that. He said they were both graded out as champions after this last scrimmage. However, one scrimmage does not <laughs> mean that they're a good quarterback. So, so if they grade out as a loser in every other session, this does not negate yeah. all the bad ones. He did not mention that they graded out that way in the first scrimmage, right? He And he would have if, if it was something, because he knows, like, he knows everybody's on edge about this. So if they were playing lights out, he would say they were playing lights out and they just couldn't make a decision. Now, I think it looks like they're trending that way. They're both trending in the right direction. Uh, this just comes back to the same conversation we've had. Like, why Kyle McCord's been here three off seasons? Why is it? Why is he just now trending here? And is is that a problem? So, uh, I'm really worried they're going to play two quarterbacks in Indiana. To me, it just seems like that's where we're headed. Because at this, I mean, here now you're going to be ready to install for the week in a couple of days. Like you're going to start game prep so it just seems to be like they're going to probably play them both against indiana and i cannot dislike that enough so let me try and talk you off the ledge at least a little bit it's not ideal i can't sit here and sell you that bill of goods right you want to have a guy ready to go day one probably as of spring practice in the absolute ideal scenario but you know I think we have to, have to, have to, have to trust Ryan Day, given his track record and his resume. So if this is how, you know, he feels about it and he says that he is extremely confident in both these guys and it's they're, they're both apparently playing so well that he doesn't want one to sit, I think that we have to take that at a little bit of face value. And I, I think I texted you to the texted this to you the other night. I think I lean more towards they have to both be playing well enough or pretty well because if they were both struggling, then I think Ryan Day would be forced to choose one just to get them reps and get them up to in the neighborhood of where he needs them to be for week one. And he hasn't done that. He hasn't said, okay, look, neither one of you guys is where I need you to be. 
Uh, Kyle, you've got the most experience, so we're going to go with you because we need to get you up to speed for week one. He hasn't done that. He's still splitting the reps, which tells me that he is, you know, at least semi-confident in both these guys, that this is not just coach speak. Otherwise, he would be doing both of them a disservice. And again, going back to that track record, that resume, that history, he has handled every quarterback situation, I think, perfectly. Has he not? Like, uh, even when Quinn Ewers was here for 15 minutes, right? Everyone was like, oh, you got to get this guy in. He's the next, you know, I don't know, whatever. And Ryan Day didn't let him sniff the field. He's like, nope, not a chance. And when CJ Stroud had his, I, I don't even know if ups and downs is fair. But when he had his moments early on, they were like, oh, my gosh, you got to go with McCord. You got to go with the other kid. He was like, nope, I'm good. And look what happened with C.J. Stroud. So his Ryan Day's track record puts me a little bit more at ease. My hope, and I, I don't want to say I, that this is my guess because I'm, I'm really not sure. I'm like everyone. I'm like you. I'm like everyone listening to this. I'm like the outside world. I'm not sure what Ryan Day is thinking, but I tend to think that both of these guys are playing well, and so that is making the decision difficult for Ryan Day, Brian Hartline, et cetera. Did I talk you off the ledge? No, and here's why. No coach has ever batted a 1,000 on picking quarterbacks, and not just picking like the correct starter uh, recruiting the correct guy. Nobody has. Even Urban Meyer was going to run Jeff Driscoll out there after Tim Tebow if he had stuck around for another year. Might have been why why Coach Meyer left. He may have saw him practice and said, "Woo, we missed on this guy." Well, wait a minute. Brian I, Day's no different. He's well, not. He's not perfect. Maybe he is. Small sample size, and you're probably alluding to over a longer period of time. But as of right now. Ryan Day is perfect. And this goes back to granted, right. he didn't he didn't maybe pick Dwayne Haskins, but everything that he has done, I think he's got a perfect record thus far. Right. I agree. And that means he's due. <laughs> and that's my worry. What and about that, Lincoln that, Riley? That bill Lincoln is coming Riley's due what? this year. Lincoln Riley's how many years into his career? He hasn't whiffed once. He picked Spe- Yeah, he did. Spencer Rattler. Uh okay. Okay. Yeah. He, he, that was a big mess. It's Rattler's the reason he's at USC. Like yeah. he doesn't leave if Rattler was because they lost, they were, they didn't have the season. They, they wanted because they had to go to Caleb Williams. But, but my assumption is Spencer Rattler's just awesome because everyone is picking South Carolina to go like 11 and one and all the recruits are going there. So I don't know, maybe we'll be wrong on Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler. I tend to think South Carolina is going to be eight and four and they're going to lose some guys, but that's just me. You know, that's just me. Uh, uh, Well, the bus is due to be fixed tomorrow morning. I hope I don't have to drive too much longer, but if I do, I will. I I really don't want to have to be driving this bus next uh, Sunday after the Indiana game when they both play and they both play like poop. I hope that's not the case. Let's look at it like this too. I guess worst case scenario. Ohio State should, in theory, have a three-game buildup, three-game runway, right? They need to have this absolutely figured out 
as of Sunday before Notre Dame. But they at least have three games. Granted, the, the level of competition's not great, so I, I don't know how accurately you can sort of judge performance and things like that, but there is a little bit of a runway, whereas if this had happened last year, Notre Dame was week two, right? So again, a little more breathing room, a little more space, a little more time to figure this out. But yeah, I am with you in the sense that this is not ideal. I think it's far from ideal, but just sort of bringing it back around to the team, I I think I have a good nervous energy right now as it pertains to the whole team. I am, I'm more confident in the Josh Jimmy Simmons and the new offensive line situation than you are. Yes, the quarterback thing has my attention, but at the same time, you know, we have heard great things about the running backs and the defense, both of which could literally and figuratively, I guess, carry OSU early on. So I'm just ready to see what these guys can do. You know, I may have said it to you or, or maybe it was someone else. I think the Buckeyes are going to be a much different team in 2023. But that does not mean for better or for worse. I, I think that they will actually be able to lean on the defense, which how long has it been since we've been able to say that? And then whoever the quarterback ultimately is will be protected a bit by the running game. So I'm not going to sit here and say that it's, Urban Meyer-esque or even Jim Trestle-esque, but this could be a defense-heavy team or a defense and running game-led team while whoever the quarterback is figures it out. So that's just my two cents. I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. I think you need to because I'm not the I'm not the positive one. Like I'm not the optimistic one. So Take solace in that. I'm usually the other. I'm usually you. But look, man, like things are going to be wide open. You look at the college football landscape, and we're not going to get into this now, but Georgia doesn't have a quarterback who's done anything. Alabama doesn't have a quarterback who's done anything. Um, gosh, I mean, you go down the line, USC still has Alex Grinch involved. Gosh, Michigan. I don't want to say it. They're probably in the best situation, but they have question marks. Clemson has question marks. Tennessee has question marks, like on and on and on and on. I think it's going to be sort of a wide open year. And yeah, that schedule sucks. I think that's Ohio State's biggest obstacle, honestly. And we'll talk about that later as the season progresses. That schedule looks like a murderer's row right now. But, you know, it is what it is. Before we get into some other business, just want to give a quick shout out also to a bunch of players and bear with me. This is going to be a long list. First team captains for the 2023 Ohio state Buckeyes as voted by their teammates. This was announced last week and this is obviously a huge honor. And those three players chosen were Tommy Eichenberg, Cade Stover and Xavier Johnson. The last of which will also wear the coveted block. O zero Jersey. That's a lot. So Chuck, any issue with the captains? You think they got this thing right? No, I'm happy that they only went with three again. I thought, uh, and I understand why they did it, but I thought the idea of having like seven, eight captains was was too much. So I'm happy they picked three. Uh, these guys have kind of proven to be leaders 
and not only by I'm sure verbally, but by example, these guys are just they're just football players. So I'm I'm happy for all of them, and I can't wait to see uh, what all, what all three of them can do. Really, it's year of the tight end, so I'm 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 ready. Let's do this. Year of the tight end, it's year of the the X factor or whatever they want to call Xavier Johnson. But yeah, like we don't, we obviously don't know these guys personally or anything like that. But you hear those three names, you see those three guys, you're like, yep, that sounds about right. That checks out. Um, And there will be other leaders for this team. They're just not going to be captains. And this is voted by the teammates. So I don't think it's a slight to anybody. I just think that it's it's well-earned for those three guys. And then those listening, you know, may or may not put a ton of stock into guys losing their black stripes and becoming, air quotes, official Buckeyes. But just in the past few weeks, several players have shed those black stripes, which I think is a cool rite of passage. So I think think I've got everyone here just real quickly the names that have lost or the players that have lost those black stripes and become official Buckeyes in the past couple of weeks are in no particular order Vic Cutler, Jimmy Simmons, Luke Montgomery, Tywone Malone, Bryson Rogers, Jermaine Matthews, Lorenzo Stiles Jr., walk-on David Adolph, Caden McDonald, Noah Rogers, and just yesterday both Brandon Innes and Joshua Padillo. So congrats to them. They have officially joined the Ohio State Football Brotherhood. I made a joke, uh, or actually you'll see it in the, the pod write-up. Chuck is hoping to lose his podcasting black stripe with Land Grant. So a couple more episodes. I don't think he's earned it quite yet. I think he's had some good, some good sessions, but just – the attitude, the way he's shaking his head, looking at me right now. Like there's some, some things around the, uh, the edges that Chuck, no, I'm just kidding. But I don't know, Chuck, do you think this is still a pretty cool thing that they do? It is cool. And I, I'm glad they still do it. And I understand why I don't have my, my black stripe off yet, because I've been told uh, more than one occasion, usually by my wife, that I'm uncoachable. So it's a, it's a locker room presence. Yes, I'm just not a leader. I'm not a leader of men. Uh, my my kids have broken me down. So I, I get it. I understand. I'm hoping after a uh, – I'm shooting for at like the post-game analysis of Indiana. I'm going to really nail it. I'm going to kind of hit my stride for the regular season. And at that point, the powers that be can, can make a decision to, to remove this thing. I think that's pretty fair because if you haven't shed it by the end of the season, like those are the guys who usually transfer out or get told to transfer out of Ohio State. <laughs> like, unless they're hurt or there's extenuating circumstances, if they've just like uh, practiced and been healthy and it's bowl week, uh, coaches are like, all right, so we got to have a talk with this guy. You know, it's uh, just ha- hasn't been working out, but no, um, congrats to those guys. And, I think that's pretty much it for opening business with housekeeping and those current events out of the way. Uh, What Chuck and I are going to do is jump back into our quasi Big Ten team previews, as I said last week and the week before. He and I are going to go into greater detail when many of these teams play Ohio State 
but we wanted to do this as sort of our preview. Uh, what we wanted to do is break down the Big Ten into three categories or tiers, contenders, pretenders, bottom feeders. That should all be pretty self-explanatory. I've gone through this before, but our final tier or category is contenders, the best of the best. These, time, these teams are the ones that are most likely to contend for the Big Ten crowd. And then we'll talk about Buckeyes and do our game preview next week. So that's what's coming up. Uh, I, Chuck's doing the pee pee dance. I can see him through there. So I'm going to give him a breather. We're going to take a quick little break and we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast with Chuck Holmes. I am Josh Dooley, and we are now going to go ahead and finish up our unique Big Ten previews. We didn't really go super in-depth on every team, but we did the tier thing. We broke it down into contenders, pretenders, and bottom feeders. Reverse order there. This is the last week. This is contenders, Chuck. So these are the teams that you and I think have some sort of a chance to win. Let's say win either division, and we'll get into that. And I don't know. From what I've seen, I think most of the media is on this same beat. I think a lot of just people in general are seeing things the same way. But who knows? We're going to start chopping it up. Maybe you'll disagree with me, but. Just a reminder, we've got the over-unders from Caesars about two months ago. They may have changed. I've seen some that have gone up, down half a game. Nothing extreme, so we kept these uh, from CBS Sports provided on June 21st. So, semi-recent. And Chuck, let's just dig into it with our first team. We've got the Iowa Hawkeyes. Over-under of seven and a half wins. I'll be honest, I don't know why we included Iowa as a contender, probably just so the math worked out sort of evenly. Look, I don't think who's we. <laughs> who's we? Do you have a mouse in your pocket? We discussed this last week. Look, I told it was for math. All right, we we did like a four five five or something like that. Look, I don't think this is a good team. I think they have some great parts and one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. But in my opinion. Keeping Brian Ferentz on the payroll is dereliction of duty. Chuck, I know you're familiar with that term. It just is. You know, the Hawkeyes finished 123 out of 131 in points per game scored last season. And that was not some one-off anomaly. Their offense stinks. And frankly, I'm sort of shocked that guys like Cade McNamara and Caleb Brown would want to go and play there. This preview, prediction, whatever, it's all about the offense for me. And Iowa, they they don't put in the effort. Now, I do think that McNamara is a massive upgrade over Spencer Petras, so that should help matters. Caleb Johnson, running back out of Cincinnati High School, high school in Cincinnati, was good for the Hawkeyes last year. Luke Lachey, Ohio State legacy, is a promising tight end. and. Who knows? Maybe Caleb Brown wins a starting role and balls out for them. But I just don't trust this offense. And the offensive line was not a strength last year like it has been in years past. So a lot of red flags there. 
offense. Chuck, let's stick with the offense. I, I don't know. Am I feeding you any, any sort of bad information? Do you disagree with any of these? Are you on board with me that if Ohio, if Iowa didn't have to play offense, maybe they could be a real contender, but the rules state that you kind of got to do both. Where are you at with Iowa on one side of the ball at least? They're going to be better. I mean, yeah, for sure. The, the, but they're st- yeah they're just not, they're not going to be good. So I, what's what's going to help them is their schedule. Like their offense, if their offense is eightieth um, in <laughs> in in Division One football, like that might be enough to make a run at that. Like they don't have to get to fortieth. They're not going to get to fortieth. Like K McNamara wasn't great. He was a serviceable guy. He serviceable weapons and he has a shit coach so he's not going to get to top half of of big boy football in in offense but they can do enough and their defense is their defense is good every year right so they're they just know how to play defensive football there and their schedule is going to allow for it i mean do you want to go through i mean you can name five wins well let's do it at that you've got it up let's save it so I wanted you to jump in so I didn't just go on and on and on. But I, I had in my notes, I was going to hit you with a, however, I was going to hit you with a Stephen A. Smith because Iowa does still play in the Big Ten West for at least one more season. And they should have another good defense. So that's where I do, I guess they have potential to steal that division, which is sad. The defense lost 225 tackles provided by Jack Campbell and Seth Benson last year. They also lost cornerback Riley Moss, but they have a ton of returning experience, especially along the defensive line. Uh, they've got Cooper DeJean, who is the fair-skinned Trayvon Diggs. I think I can say that. I hope I can say that. And Oh, God! He, he is, though. He is. Um, and they also have former five-star safety, Xavier Nwangfa, I think he's a big-time breakout candidate. Ohio State really wanted him last year. Plus, they have the legend, Phil Parker, returning as defensive coordinator. He gets the benefit of the doubt no matter what when it comes to coaching defense. So, yeah, because of that side of the ball and the schedule, which I know that you will get to, they could probably find a way to win at least nine games, I think. and. So it's just crazy, really, what Kirk Ferentz gets away with in Iowa City because I don't know if it's the bar that's been set. And look, he's won a lot of games, but there's admittedly a ceiling, is there not? And so if you have a ceiling that is not all the way at the top of the skyscraper, the elevator that doesn't go all the way up, whatever, however you want to say it, What's the point? Like just being pretty competitive and having fun and winning nine games. If I'm a team like Iowa, look, they're not in the MAC. No offense, they're not in the the AAC or something like that. Have higher aspirations. You've gotten close before. You've been on the cusp of, you know, maybe a a, a New Year's. Well, no, they have played in a New Year's Six Bowl. Why not address that one problem area? and see if you can really make a run. But again, like I said, 
Kirk Ferentz gets away with it. He's like a professor with tenure. He's going to be there until he no longer wants to be there. So they probably find a way to win, like I said, eight, nine, ten games this year. I think it's crazy. But, yeah, Chuck, give us that schedule. We can go through. We can see if maybe one of us is off here. I don't know. No, I mean, you figure they're non-conference. Utah State, Western Michigan, and then they do have to go to Iowa State, but Iowa State's in shambles. They've got Northwestern because they're in the West. They've got Rutgers from the East at home. Michigan State at home. They've got Purdue at home. They've got Minnesota at home. Illinois at home. Now they got to go to Wisconsin. They got to go to uh, Penn State, but those were going to be losses regardless. You're almost better going there and losing and having your home games be winnable, right? So there, there's eight games in there. There's eight wins in there. Now, if their offense doesn't get to 70 or 80th in the country, there's also eight losses in there. Like they, they need to, they can't have the worst offense in major college football again and still do this. And I'm, I, I don't know that you I, and I could lose eight games with that schedule. <laughs> I would have to disagree <laughs> with that. <laughs> but yeah, like it's, if they want to be what they've been in years past, the offense does have to get much better. And I don't know, maybe Brian Ferentz pulls one over on all of us. I don't think that he will. I know that I'm going to be betting the under each and every week. So all of them. Yeah. Every I, I've already bet on three. I full, full disclosure. So did, so did a bunch of the former players. So everyone around, I was yeah, well, what's going on too. I, They've been sending me their picks because I hear they actually want some money on their team. Uh, and, and even if they say they would beat Wisconsin, and if they, if they beat Wisconsin, maybe they win the West, they're going to get absolutely mollywopped by whoever wins the East. Just molly. The, the, whoever wins the East is going to beat them by 40 in the Big Ten title game because of that offense. Because all three contenders in the East are, even with my anxiety bus back up and running tomorrow i would still take kyle mccord throwing left-handed with ryan day and brian hartline calling plays than whatever travesty is going on in iowa on the offensive side yeah i think that's absolutely a safe bet you know you look at that penn state game for example i think penn state beats him by 20 and granted that's a long ways away but even if drew aller isn't what people think he might be the rest of that team, like, yeah, they're, they're going to get beat by anybody who comes out of the East. I feel confident in saying that. But let's stick in the West division here, which is a bit of foreshadowing. But I'm just sort of going from lowest to highest with over-under wins here. Next up, we've got Wisconsin. Over-under of eight and a half. And, Chuck, we can talk about Luke Fickle's new team here in a second. But I just got to ask you one question. How in the hell did they end up with three transfer quarterbacks who have like were notable prospects and have played before? Like, do these guys know that only one quarterback sees the field and or touches the ball in conventional lineups? Granted, Nick Evers and Braden Locke are young guys, but Wisconsin's entire quarterback situation throws me for an absolute loop. And then, of course, you've got Tanner Mordecai slated to start. He's at his third school. I just think that's bananas. I don't – you wonder 
and you wouldn't think that Luke Fickle's not being truthful with these guys because, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick Evers came on earlier than Mordecai. I thought when he came on board that he was going to be the starter. Like, you've got this big-time recruit coming off of sitting a year at Oklahoma. I thought for sure, oh, this is what he's got. And then two or three weeks or whatever it was, a month later, Mordecai comes on. And you're like, oh, what the hell is, is happening here? Now, maybe Evers just realizes, hey, look, Phil Longo is the man. I'm going to sit a year, I'm going to play two, and I'm still going to be the guy. But, yeah, with the instant gratification that is the transfer portal, it was shocking, to say the least. And and kudos to to Luke Fickle if he can keep them all, keep them all happy and get them all producing, because that would be a a masterful coaching job. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think that he, he comes across to me as an honest, upfront, and truthful guy. I think you're right. Uh, I believe that Nick Evers was the first to commit, and it may have just been a situation where they didn't know Tanner Mordecai was available, and then he was, and Phil Longo's like, hey, this guy has run my offense before. He's got three, four years of experience, whatever it is. So it certainly doesn't seem like there are hurt feelings. Otherwise, Nick Evers could probably leave again, or maybe he would have by now, but it's still an odd situation to say the least, but whatever. You know, I digress. Let's talk team ball. <clears throat> I think most people have high expectations for Fickle and Wisconsin, whether it is this upcoming season or future seasons. And I concur. I think the world of Fickle, but then he also goes and gets Longo to run his offense and Mike Tressel to run the defense. Those are great hires. They brought in transfers on both sides of the ball, but they will obviously pay more dividends on offense. That's another reason they may have gone out and got all the quarterbacks. They were like, look, this offense is garbage. We're going to get as many guys who can throw the ball as possible to help ourselves out. But they added a few wide receivers, including C.J. Williams from USC. He was ranked as the number seven wide receiver in the 2022 class. So a real talent. Braylon Allen is back, arguably one of the freakiest athletes in college football, in my opinion. Now, Whiskey's offensive line was fine, not great last year, but Jack Nelson is a heck of an anchor at left tackle. I think this offense will surprise some people, and how could they not improve from last year, right, with Graham Mertz, who... My goodness, let's not go down that road, but he's going to start for Florida. Billy Napier, I was under the impression, was trying to save his job. And he's like, hey, guy who sucked for a decade at Wisconsin, come on down, brother. But uh, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that speaks to Jack Miller. Yeah, I was going to say, poor Jack Miller. Doesn't seem like that was the, uh, the hit that we thought it might be when he committed. He was a day guy, was he not? He was the only, I mean, he was the guy in that class until CJ Stroud. Yeah, but he got kind of trumped. I think even they brought in CJ Stroud and was like, this guy's going to be better. So sorry about you. No, absolutely. I mean, he, he, CJ was the higher rated guy by a mile. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they brought Jack Miller in. Wasn't he from Arizona? Like, he wasn't even a local guy. No, but he was a long time guy. Like, um, yeah. early. He was, he was like one of the first guys in that class, if not the first. 
to commit. Yeah, and now maybe we see why he didn't go and look elsewhere. <laughs> no, no offense to that guy. I know he's had some issues and he wanted to play, obviously, but they're gonna they're gonna go with the Mertz wagon for whatever reason. Wisconsin, getting back to Wisconsin, they do have a few questions on the defensive side of the ball, particularly in the secondary. They also lost Keanu Benton, John Torchio, and Nick Herbig, their sack machine. Chuck, I don't know if you saw, he's probably going to rack up eight, nine, ten sacks for the Steelers as a rookie. I don't know why he slipped to the third or fourth round. I hate it. I hate it and him. I don't even know him, and I hate him. But the returning linebackers are very solid. They added an all-AAC defensive end from Temple and Darian Barner. The bottom line on defense is that they, they're going to be coached up by Fickle and Mike Tressel. And they were a heck of a, a, a unit last year, despite some of the issues they had in the secondary. They were number 17, or they finished number 17 in points per game allowed. So you pretty much know what you're getting on that side of the ball, even if the stats, the metrics aren't the exact same and the schedule is going to be a little bit different. But before we get into predictions, Chuck, give me some of your, your overarching thoughts on the team. And then I've got maybe a prediction or two for you. I think the team, like the team could be similar talent-wise than last year. I do think last year was just so discombobulated, and they made the decision on Chris, I, I think, a little too early in the year. I think firing him might have been the right answer, but I think what's going to help them more than anything is their schedule. Holy smokes. Can you t- how, how many top 20 preseason top 25 teams are they playing? Just tell me. How many you think? Um, maybe one. Like, I – I looked at it. I pretty much know. I know who they miss, which I'm going to get to, but I don't know. One. Iowa's their second one. That's it. And they got Ohio State. Like, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I should have said it's besides a, Ohio State. Yep. Yeah, like, that's it. And they got them both at home. And, and we know Wisconsin's been tough on Ohio State. Like, going to Madison's no cakewalk for Ohio State. You can guarantee October 28th is going to be an 8 p.m. kickoff. Like, there's no chance that's a noon kickoff. Do you think do you think Phil Longo and Tanner Mordecai, do you think their uh, collaboration works in Wisconsin in November and December though? And that's an honest question. I'm not even being facetious. How much different is it than Columbus or Michigan? Like, I mean, it's not that much worse up there. It's not like they play in snow every weekend. I mean, Aaron Rodgers played in Green Bay for 500 years and threw the ball. I, I don't think it matters as much now. I think these guys have figured it out. Now, when there's 10 feet of snow on the ground, sure. But I also don't think Fickle's going to allow them to be one-dimensional. Like, he, Fickle's too good a coach. He's going to have them ready to pre- and prepared for those. Because that's all he's ever coached in, too. Like, even Cincinnati's not warm in December. So he know, he knows what he was getting into. He'll be prepared. And they've got Braylon Allen. I mean, he's a refrigerator with legs. I mean, that dude is just an absolute unit. So I wouldn't even call that a fallback. I think they're going to be pretty balanced. I I said I might have a take or two for you. I'll say it right now. I think Wisconsin wins the West, which is not a take. I could see them beating Ohio State at Camp Randall on October 28th. And then, like, I'm sort of joking. I'm sort of not here. They miss Michigan and Penn State. You said they play Iowa. 
I could, in a perfect, perfect, perfect scenario for them, see them going 12-0. and 0. Like, if they catch every break and they upset Ohio State, I would not call Iowa an upset. Their schedule, like you said, it is a cakewalk outside of those two teams. So I definitely say this jokingly, but if Whiskey beats OSU, Fickle could theoretically coach Cincinnati, Wisconsin, and Ohio State in three consecutive seasons. What do you think about that? He's not leaving after a year. But to me, like 9-3 is the floor with this team. Like 10-2, 11-1 is really realistic. I do think 12-0 and 0 is pushing it, but it's not like inconceivable. You're not like rolling through Murderer's Row to get to 12-0. and 0. You're literally beating Ohio State. And you could do it. So it's not out of the realm. He's not leaving after a year if Ryan Day goes and coaches the Bears. But um, it it is a uh, he, he, he'll make a lot more money next year. That's for damn sure. Yeah, and I, I was definitely joking about that. A, I don't want to see Wisconsin beat Ohio State. And B, I'm on the Ryan Day bus. I have been. I'll probably write it until the wheels fall off like Chuck's anxiety bandwagon. So, but yeah, I mean, that's at the very least, I think that's going to be a very, very interesting, concerning, dangerous, like whatever game for Ohio state. But, um, Oh, let's get to the big 10 East. That pretty much, that tells you what we think and what people think about the West, right? There are two teams. We like Wisconsin more, but the over under, for neither one of those teams exceeds 8.5. But let's flip over to the East. Penn State, they had an over-under of nine and a half wins. James Franklin has a talented team up in Happy Valley, man, with a potential all-Big Ten quarterback. And, yes, I know Trace McSorley and Sean Clifford had their moments, but Drew Aller might be on a whole different level for them. We're going to see him plus a two-headed monster at running back and Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. Absolutely a thunder and lightning combo. The Nitty Lions are led up front by Fashanu at left tackle. Again, I did not want to mess up his first name, but he's projected to be a top five, top 10 draft pick in the 2024 NFL draft. So there's a world in which this offense just goes crazy. Now, Penn State did lose Parker Washington, Mitchell Tinsley, and Brenton Strange as far as weapons are concerned. But Strange, I, I didn't recall, Brenton Strange went in the second round. That's wild to me. But his understudy, air quotes, Theo Johnson, basically matched his production last year. And they brought in Dante Cephas, who had 1,000 yards at Kent State in 2021. Then on defense, you're talking about a team that allowed 18 points per game last season, good for 10th in FBS. They lost Joey Porter Jr., Jair Brown, and P.J. Mustafer, but most of that unit returns. Chop Robinson is a potential All-American in defensive end. Their linebackers go super hard, Carter and Jacobs. And then the secondary is still going to have a bunch of three-, four-, and five-year guys. Plus... Chuck, uh, I got to keep an eye on Danny Dennis Sutton. He was the number 28 overall recruit in 2022, played in all 13 games last year, listed as a backup. 
he could terrorize some quarterbacks this season. So I throw a lot of names, a lot of numbers, a lot of things at you. Chuck, what's your opinion on Penn State and how seriously do they need to be taken? If Michigan wasn't the rival that they are, I would be more worried about Penn State because they, twofold, that, and if the coaches were changed. Because I don't trust James Franklin nearly as much uh, to, to execute, but they scare the absolute hell out of me because they haven't had a quarterback like this. Like Sean Clifford has been there since I was in college and I'm 42, I'm 42. Yeah. 42. It's like, it, it, it's scary. Like they worry me. I do not, I do not under any circumstances uh, want to go into this game uh, hearing Ohio state questioning quarterback issues. I, I just, that part of it, I think it's, it's a big, big game. I cannot, um, this will be the game that cements, in my opinion, whether those defensive linemen are truly living up to their hype. And I know JT Tumulau had a just unbelievable game against Penn State last year. Um, but if you watch the tape, it wasn't always against their All-American. And if you, if you have both guys going, that means one of them's always going against the other side and gives them a chance. But yeah, Penn State, that offense, the defense is always good. Like they, they generally don't take a, a, a step down. And Manny Diaz is a hell of a defensive coordinator. Like they, one thing that, um, that, that James Franklin has always done is he's always had a good defense because he's always had good coaching. So I, I'm, I'm worried about him. I hate it. Like, Ten and a half to me is almost, is it ten and a half? Is that what it is or is it nine and a half? Nine and a half. Nine and a half is almost in the bag to me because I, I feel like their only two losses are potentially Michigan and Ohio State. Like nobody else should scare them. Now they are Penn State and they like the Penn State occasionally. So maybe that's in the bag, but they could also beat one of those teams. Like if you told me all three teams were 11 and one, I would not be shocked at a, in the least bit. I was just going to say that, like, there's a real world in which Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State all end up 11-1, and one, and it's the Spider-Man meme, and it's like, which team's actually the best one in the Big Ten? Because <clears throat> I look at, all things considered, I look at the, the roster that Penn State has, and it is like fractions of a step behind Ohio state in terms of top tier or like, let's say like front line talent, Ohio state is deeper, but if you just go starter by starter position by position, there's an argument to be made that Penn state is as strong or stronger than the Buckeyes at most or all positions. Ohio state Definitely gets the edge at wide receiver. And you can either chime in or not. Where else? Where is Ohio State undoubtedly without argument better than Penn State? That's it. You got I, I think defensive line will be better, but we haven't seen it yet. So you're right. It's it's literally wide receiver and everywhere else they are equal or better on paper. 
and that it's going to be a it's going to be a great game. I cannot wait to watch Ohio State, Penn State, and uh, Penn State and Michigan because those two games are going to be fabulous games. And that's that's a whole different story. That's looking at this season. Like I said earlier, the schedule. Goodness gracious! But let's get to this last team, Chuck. We know who everyone listening probably knows who it's about to be. It's that team up north. They're the last team in our preview because, again, we will talk about Ohio State more in depth really throughout the season, some next week, you name it. But, partner, let's just address the elephant in the room. Uh, Michigan is the current favorite to win the Big Ten, also making them a candidate to three-peat. I think they deserve that type of respect, even if I absolutely hate saying so. They are, on paper, a very dangerous football team. First and foremost, they have a proven returning quarterback. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think J.J. McCarthy should be a Heisman candidate, but he might end up as one, right? He's definitely a guy teams have to prepare for, and he is likely to improve in his second season as a starter. Now, I will point out or remind people that he was not lights out on a weekly basis last year. In his last six games, he completed over 60% of his passes just once. Even against Ohio State, and I know this is going to make me sound like a bitter asshole, he was not exactly throwing darts all over the field. He hit some timely deep balls against poor coverage, poor scheme, poor game planning. So, just saying. But, I do think he's legit, and he has a ton of help. We know about the running game. I'm not even sure what else needs to be said there. Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, who... I don't know if you caught this, is going to revolutionize the game. I think he compared himself to Walter Payton, Jesus, and Earl Campbell. Like he He's awfully full of himself. But as an Ohio State fan, I guess we can't talk our own shit, right? They are arguably the best running back duo in the college game. They lost a few starters from their two-time Joe Moore, Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, but they added experience via the transfer portal. Ladarius Henderson from Arizona State is projected to start at left tackle. That is at least worth keeping an eye on. Again, I don't want to sound bitter. He played left guard for the Sun Devils and missed the second half of last year, if I'm not mistaken. So not proven at left tackle, but that unit will likely continue to be a good one. The defense returned seven starters. Michigan's losses were... They were significant in DJ Turner, Mozzie Smith, and Mike Morris, but they've still got plenty of dudes. Will Johnson is an elite corner. And, you know, if, if they didn't wear maize and blue, I would say that I like their linebackers. The Wolverines' non-con schedule is, again, an absolute joke. It's It's almost embarrassing that they just continue to not schedule a team above – like high school level for the second straight season. So we probably won't learn much until Big Ten play, which wouldn't you know, that's when Jim Harbaugh is scheduled to return from his suspension. Look, I think that that team up north is going to be good. I think that they can probably make a real run if McCarthy is 
just as good or better. And the defense is able to withstand a few big losses. I don't like saying all of that, but they're the real deal. What say you, partner? If there was a way, and, and I'm going to try to find it, unfortunately, like 9-0 and for them is as easy a 9-0 and as I think I've seen at the Power 5 level. Like, I don't know that I've seen a first nine games be as easy as theirs. And they don't need it, right? They could have a, they could have a top 30 schedule, and I would still say they were going to start 9-0. and Like, it's, it's a really good team. I hate them. I hate that they are. I agree with you on McCarthy. But the one thing that, that really worries me is that how many guys have we seen have the end of the year that he had and it is springs boards them to because confident level wise, it just yeah. takes them to another level. I hate that that potential is there for him because I think I, he's, he's a talented dude. I think the one thing that could be problematic is he is still really skinny and, and maybe eventually he takes a shot, but they don't, they just don't need to take the risks early in the year with him because they're just going to run through these teams with the with, with Edwards and with uh, Corum. Like they're not going to have to run him a ton. They can save him for the end of the year, and he can take all those licks against Penn State and Ohio State, and and probably survive because of it. So ten and ten and two is an absolute bottom for them. Like it's it, to me, it's not even a debate that ten wins is on the table. And if you told me they went 13-0, unfortunately, it would not shock me. But that wouldn't be fun. God, that'd be, it'd be miserable. No, uh, we're gonna, our... if, if, the, if they were 13-0, I'm just going to warn all the listeners now. Like the, 13, the, the podcast after Michigan goes 13-0, if that was to happen, the week, at, the week after the Big Ten title game, you probably are – going to need a, a scotch before you turn on this podcast because it is going to be doom and gloom well let's let's put our charlie murphy hat on for a second player haters ball you're right about jj mccarthy usually guys don't regress when they have a solid end of season but like i said man those last six games accuracy wise he was not always the best um and really all season we saw where he threw some sort of boneheaded decisions and he's a young guy, whatever it happens. His wide receivers. I don't think they got better from last year. Now they've got Cornel Cornelius Johnson, who is sort of a freak show. We saw that against Ohio state, but Ronnie Bell was a safety blanket for them. Um, they had the tight end who was good and, we know that offensive line has historically or recently been really good, but they did lose two starters. Like it's not a given. They did lose some big names. And then on defense, DJ Turner, second round pick, Mozzie Smith, first round pick, Mike Morris. I don't know where he was picked, but he gave them some big time production last year. So it still has to be proven on the field. And <clears throat> I don't think, I don't think, but I don't know about the whole Jim Harbaugh situation. Every single year, every single offseason, will he, won't he seems to be a topic. Now, the first couple of years, it was will he or won't he be fired. 
recently it has been will he or won't he go to the NFL. He's right now going to be suspended, self-imposed for three games this year. Those games don't matter. But I don't know. I mean, is there an inkling within the program that he's looking elsewhere? Like, I brought this up in our Slack group, and I don't want to go completely off topic here, but was self-imposing a three-game suspension their way of hoping to pacify the NCAA to where he doesn't get more than a handful of games next year and want to leave. You know, if they didn't self-impose this and he was looking at eight, nine games or the regular season, which I don't think that would have been the case, but he'd probably be like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sit out most or all of a year. I'm going to go coach the Raiders or whoever. So, Again, that's me being a hater and putting my Charlie Murphy hat on. But I don't know. As we talk through it, though, I don't know. Are we both a little more scared or afraid of Penn State than we are? Michigan, just you and I. Talent-wise, I'm more worried for Penn State. The reason Michigan scares you is because they've got – beat Ohio State the last two years. That's what it comes down to. Like, you would be more worried about Penn State, but losing to Penn State this year and beating Michigan and going to the Big Ten, you know what? It doesn't even matter if they go to the Big Ten title game. If they go 11-1, and lose to Penn State, beat Michigan, and end up in the playoff, it doesn't matter. The Penn State loss does not matter at all in that scenario. I don't care about Big Ten titles anymore. I really don't. They're great. Going to the game. I, I would actually love to take my son to the Big Ten title game this year uh, because it's a, a quick ride. But it doesn't matter if they end up in the playoff and as long as they beat Michigan. If they lose to Michigan, though, it almost for for Ryan Day's um, – <laughs> it almost matters more that he beats – and I know we've talked about this. Beating Michigan is more important than making the playoff this year. I can't say I wholeheartedly disagree. now. If they beat Michigan but lose to Notre Dame, Penn State, and Wisconsin, I think I will feel much differently, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> you will, but the fan base as a whole will give him a 9-3 and three beating Michigan one time. Now, he can't do it back-to-back years, but they will let him slide this year if the three does not include that team up north. You're probably right. I think if I had my druthers or my preference, I would just want to play like play this season on my Xbox One or whatever I have on beginner level or something because like, these teams are good. And Ohio State is going to encounter some adversity, obviously. And that's sort of where we're at. But <clears throat> I think that puts a good bow on this preview. I think we've gotten the point across that Ohio State is far from the, well, you know, they're not the favorite. They're far from the only contender. The Big Ten is going to be interesting this year, and it's going to be both fun and interesting to look at it as the season progresses and go through these things and do a little more in-depth, a deeper dive on some of these teams that Ohio State is going to play. But as for the preview and as for the episode, that's going to do it. For Chuck and I, we're going to, 
you know, probably have a cocktail, watch this announcement that we, uh, Chuck wants to chime in. I know he's got something good. Yeah. I haven't gotten the email yet incoming president Carter. So whenever, oh, yeah. like, okay. we, we, whenever we're going to discuss this, I know he's listening to the pod. I haven't seen his email pop up in the, the directory at the university yet. So whenever he's willing uh, President Ted, incoming President Ted Carter. I know you got a lot finishing up in Nebraska. Uh, shoot me um, a DM, a text, an email, a phone call, whatever you'd like. However, you want to uh, set up my first interview, my first and final, as I'd like to call it, uh, so we can get this AD thing figured out and go ahead and move forward. Yeah, Chuck, thank you for the reminder. I sort of buried the lead. Maybe it's not a lead. Ohio State did announce uh, their next president today. Ted Carter, I guess former now president at Nebraska. <clears throat> this will be my parting shot. Chuck, fingers are crossed for you for the AD position, but I did a quick Google on this guy. And look, I don't know his whole career. I don't know his politics. I don't know his experience, but I think he's like the most decorated Naval Academy officer of all time. Like maybe him and Maverick from Top Gun. Those guys are definitely on the Mount Rushmore. Well, he was a Top Gun guy. He, he went to, he was a pilot. He went to Top Gun. And I, I'm willing to work for him despite all that, uh, you know, with, with, with him being a Navy guy, I'm willing to let that be uh, something that slides. Uh, and as an Army, you were an Army uh, guy. That, yep, yep. yeah, I'm willing to work for a Navy guy simply because of our love for the university. So I jotted it down real quick here, and, and please ignore my own ignorance, but I have my own Navy Mount Rushmore as Ted Carter, Maverick. Uh, I've got David Robinson, and I'll be honest, I don't have a fourth. I, I probably should. I, I think you nailed it, though. I think that, that's a win. Yeah, and fourth is TBD. Maybe next week. I'll come back to you with the last member of my Navy, Mount Rushmore. And again, I'm ignorant on that topic. Take that with a grain of salt. But like I said, Chuck and I are going to get out of here. Next time you hear from us, we will be previewing an Ohio State football game. This is what Chuck has been in training for since April, since we brought him aboard the mothership. That's really the anxiety bus that he is driving and has been on. He's, he's got to do a real big boy preview, but uh, it, it's going to be fun. He and I both cannot wait, and so we're looking forward to it. But until next week, for Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. As I always say, please go like, rate, and review, and subscribe to the pod. And until next week, when we really mean it, Go Bucks.